Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. I've never been this nervous in my life. Greetings from Longtime No See, the podcast. Every week we'll be inviting two blindfolded comedians to answer a series of questions about their careers, lives, and opinions. Now, let's remove those blindfolds and start the show. Hi! <laughs> what would your opening line with your celebrity crush be? Loved you in Harry Potter. <laughs> Worst date you've been on? A man bit my neck mole off once. You did what? A man bit my neck mole off. Oh my god, Jack almost fell off his chair. <laughs> be sure to follow and subscribe to the podcast. Welcome into episode 201 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. And this episode is brought to you by Dream Symbols. If any of you are in Montreal on August 1st or interested in taking a trip to Montreal on August 1st, Dream is hosting a hang at Hotel Tango Studio uh, from 7 p.m. to 10 p.m. And attending was going to be the great drummer Sam Fogarino of uh, Interpol. So again, that's August 1st, 7 to 10 p.m. at Hotel Tatango in Montreal. They're going to have 50 different symbols there for everyone to try out, test. They're going to do some recordings. You can hear what it sounds like under microphones. Um, and then at the end, everyone, if you're interested, you can purchase one of the items that's there. So the key is they need you to RSVP. So if you're interested in attending, again, that's August 1st, 7 to 10 p.m., Montreal, Canada, Hotel Tatango. Uh, you need to email dreamhang at dreamsymbols.com. Let them know you heard about it on the Mondrummer podcast, and then they will get you the details as far as the address and all of that. Uh, space is very limited. So, again, if you're considering it and you're in Montreal or want to take a trip to Montreal August 1st, 7 to 10 p.m., email dreamhang at dreamsymbols.com and let them know. All right. Our intro beat this week is by Shane. Shane is playing a Ludwig Sinet kit with uh, 12 14-inch toms, 20-inch bass drum. He's got a Mapex Black Panther machete, 6 and by 14 snare. Um, what else is he using? He's using the, this is a three-mic setup, so he's got an SM57 on the snare. He's got a Samson bass drum mic and an AKG2112 for an overhead. He wrote, mixed, and recorded all of this in Logic Pro X. All right, so this is Shane, and let's get the episode rolling. lost your mind you've absolutely lost your mind there's no chance that's happening nope so everyone listening this is my uh, i'm calling mike out now one year from today he's gonna say you know what i made a switch i now Not record a on a mac <laughs> i am telling you right now everyone you are one year away from dawson going you know what I, maybe i was wrong about pcs oh that will never ever happen. oh my goodness oh my goodness you don't even know I, I've got friends, dude. I got. I know uh, what's in the pipeline. Yeah, well, you know what? I turn my interface on. I turn my computer on. It all works. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, sure it does. It's weird. We don't have a nickname for the spinning wheel of death because we don't have one. But you just keep on keeping on with your... Uh, How's that I love fragment? Oh, it's just so hard with all my viruses and everything that's popping up. But, you, you know, I'll keep keeping on. Uh... I am a supporter of both. It's weird. All of my devices are Apple products, so iPads, iPhones, AirPods in my ears, and then I just was never able to make the move over to the operating system. Uh, Amber has hmm. had a MacBook Air. I took it out on the road a couple times so I could use Logic, and I just was like, man, I, this is so foreign to me, and hmm. I don't understand where the drives are, and, and it's just learning. It, all it is is commit to it, and it takes you a week, and you'll figure it out, whatever it is. Which leads us into Dawes. Yeah, right. Hey, welcome to episode 201, everyone. <laughs> well, I don't have time like, to welcome anybody, and we're what going. What is the name um, of this podcast again? This is... Uh... This is the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike <laughs> and Mike. I'm one of your co-hosts, Mike Johnston from Mike'sLessons.com. That other voice you hear is the sweet, sultry sounds of Mr. Mike Dawson, managing editor of Modern Drummer <laughs> Magazine. Welcome to episode 201. Are you happy now? <laughs> All right, so let's go ahead okay. and get the Pro Tool bashing out of the way. Yes, so Pro Tools, I've been using it for probably about a year and a half now. Most people know the reason why I made the switch to Pro Tools was because my other bandmates actually use Pro Tools at home, and that way when we record here at my studio, 
we can all be the engineer for for each other. Like when I go out to the drums, mm-hmm. Dean is on the computer desk. He's familiar. So that's why I made the switch. And then recently I was on a phone call with Adobe because I'm getting ready to speak for them at a conference in Amsterdam. And they just asked me, what, so what DAW are you using? Are you using Adobe Audition? And I didn't even know what the heck that was. I, I was didn't like, know it existed. Okay, so you, okay yeah. cool. So I'm not alone. So no. anyways, when I said Pro Tools, as soon as they were done hissing and like throwing up X's in the air, I was like, they were like, what do you mean you use Pro Tools? And I was like, it, it's industry standard. They're like, it's not even close to industry standard anymore. Adobe Audition is the way of the future. <laughs> well, I was like, in their okay. world, but in our world, yeah. it's 100% yes. industry standard. Of course. And in all honesty, they were actually really kind about it. Uh, and so I said, <laughs> okay, well, I'll check out Audition because if... I don't want to get into it too much, but if you have the Adobe suite of products, you have access to all their products. So it's not like I had to buy it. Mm-hmm. I already had it. So I said, okay, I'll check it out. So there were definitely some benefits to for me. And I'm wondering with your software, so what do you use? You use I'm Logic? A, I mean, yeah, for the past two years I've been Logic, but I also go back to Ableton Live. So I started- Ableton Live, that's right. I mean, I've, I, fortunately, I kind of had was forced to go through a bunch of switches over the years. I started out, my first one was um, Digital Performer in college, yeah. and then I got Cubase, and then Cakewalk, and I just kind of went through all of them, Pro Tools for a minute, but that dongle thing just I stopped immediately. I didn't want to have to plug in my interface every time I wanted to open a session, all that crap. Yeah, uh, Ableton Live for a long time, but recently Logic. So, but I'm having the... the the growing pains. Like, I still don't know how to work logic. I'm like, how do I do the simple thing of adding a crossfade? Like, stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, probably the best bet is to get a PC. And then... <laughs> <laughs> All right, so... I can't uh, wait to get a PC and have everything go slower. <laughs> oh! <laughs> this is a good day. All right, so, Gretsch versus Ludwig. Uh, I think... Okay, so, with the, the DAW that I... I did the same as you. I went through a bunch of different ones... Uh, let's see. I would say for me, the longest one that I had before Pro Tools uh, was Sonar by Cakewalk. Yeah, and it just—I like the interface. Uh, I hate to admit it, but interfaces matter to me. If it looks cool, I'm happy to work in it. If it mm-hmm. looks janky, I feel like it's going to crash. So I felt really comfortable with that. Then eventually, I made the move to PC's version of GarageBand, which was called Mixcraft. And the reason I made that move was because of the camps. And the camps, the campers were freaking out over Sonar. They're like, this looks impossible. So I found something that had a much more childlike interface. Mm-hmm. Stay with K-Walk for a while. And then just recently started trying out Audition. And so I want to ask you, and I'll give you my answer first, and we'll see what you have to say. But w- really, what's important to you in a DAW if we get rid of sound? Let's say that, okay... They all sound similar. I'm sure there's little tiny things that a, a mixing engineer can hear. But if they all sounded the same, mm-hmm. for me, there's a couple things. One, please don't crash. That's really annoying. Yeah, stability. So yeah. Stability yeah. Is, is a big one. Interface is a big one. I need to feel comfortable. But for me, what I'm noticing right now is the benefit I'm getting out of Audition right now is the fact that since I'm already trained and I've trained myself in other Adobe products shortcuts are the same and Uh, that is when i need to expand a clip and compress a clip having to hit control bracket something on pro tools which is not on any other software that i own Mm. drives me nuts now i'm sure somewhere in deep in the menus you can reset your own shortcuts i just don't want to have to do that so Mm -hmm. opening up an adobe product made that much easier for me uh because i was already there that wouldn't be the same for everybody the other thing that was a feature that i was not ready for was rendering is now done for me because the only time I, and this is specific to my case, the only time that I actually record audio is to sync it with video. So with Mm -hmm. pro tools or with any DAW, I have to record the audio, mix it, get it all dialed, slap all the plugins on and then render it, which depending if it's a 10 minute video of audio, that's a long render, especially with plugins. So I do all that, then I have the file, then I import it into Adobe Premiere, and then I start. With Adobe Audition, I literally tell it, send to, or open in Adobe Premiere, and there is no rendering. It just opens it in the video project that I was already working on. That's so that's saving me. all the plugins? Is that why? Yeah, and, and I, I guess, yeah. All I know is there's no rendering process. I don't sit mm. there and wait for it to render. It just opens the audio, and the plugins are already there. So... Um, that's been really easy for me and really helpful. I haven't used it enough to give it any kind of review whatsoever. I've used it literally for like a week, so I can't tell you the stability. 
uh, I haven't done a multi-track session with it where I, I mean, really I'm recording two tracks. Um, yeah. so I guess three with my vocal mic, but I haven't done guitars bass. I haven't had my musicians or my bandmates come over here. They're coming over tonight. It'll be their first time seeing it and they might go, this thing's stupid. So we'll see how it goes. But so what's important to you in a DAW? Well, it's kind of parallel for me because I'm using, um, Final Cut Pro for my video editing and Logic for audio recording. So it doesn't, I don't think it does the same thing where I can just open the session in Final Cut, but all the plugins are still there, like the same exact gotcha. plugins. So I, it's seamless yeah. for me to go from, you know, mixing in Logic and then using the same like mastering suite and stuff in Final yeah. Cut. Um, so that's been really big, crucial for me lately. But and also with Logic, the fact that you can, the way you can comp multiple takes if I'm recording a track for somebody is super easy. Okay. For whatever reason, Ableton Live, you can't comp tracks like that. You can't do, you can't comp takes. For whatever gotcha. reason, they haven't done that. So that's that's a strength of Logic. But what Ableton does that I can't get out of any other software is just the creative flow of manipulating audio, like re, you know, sound design and stuff. Oh, it's just okay. So you can actually get into the WAV file a lot easier and. and manipulate it and adjust it and so ableton's still a much more creative experience for me but logic just works it's just a it's a better it's a better recording uh system i think yeah um so yeah it's, that's the rendering and file management is the big thing so i think right and the workflow of like you said being able to, to get the same same experience like I'm, I'm editing in logic and then i open final cut and it looks kind of similar See, that's that's, that's really where this whole Adobe Audition thing kind of got me is as soon as I opened, I was like, oh, I know I know these menus. I know this interface. And I think it's the same reason why when I was getting a new camera, I stuck with Canon. The Sony camera was blowing the Canon out of the water as far as specs. But as soon as I got it in my hands and went into their menus, I freaked out. I was like, okay, <laughs> yeah. I like don't know how to set my ISO. <laughs> I'm sending it back. You know, it's like, dude, sit down and learn it for 10 minutes. I think any of these... These software companies are trying so hard to keep up with each other. They're all making fantastic products. It just comes down to that comfort level. And and please just don't add frustration to my day. I'm yeah. already frustrated with my musicianship. I don't need to be frustrated with them, with this too. <laughs> so <laughs> I already hate myself enough. Hey, what so. uh, what drives are you recording to? That's a big question. Like, uh, do you have a solid state drive? Because I'm having one that's just every once in a while it gets buggy and it just ruins a session. Yeah, so I do have a two terabyte solid state drive uh, that I record. So that's something a lot of people don't know, especially if you're new to software. When you install software, it's going to send everything to your main drive. In PCs, it'd be your C drive. Mm -hmm. And that thing's going to get filled up really quick. And so you have to get into the program and tell it, store everything, all the the cache and all the files, and store everything on this external drive or... In this case of this computer, I have a two terabyte solid state drive built into it, mm-hmm. my D drive, and everything goes there, and I run everything off there. But I've never had any problems with it. So, what were you saying about yours? Is it yeah, just slow or is it buggy? Well, no, I bought this. I'm not going to throw the brand under the bus, but I brought this industry standard uh, drive for recording audio to, and it's slower than my USB three just cheap Toshiba. Oh. It's just slower, so it just every once in a while it just can't keep up i'm like what why did i buy this really? thing? <laughs> yeah. oh wow interesting yeah. yeah it's something that we don't really think about until it drives us nuts and then we go yeah. oh that's that's why those guys and those girls on youtube have that row of drives next to their computer now i get it and <laughs> yeah. uh yeah it's 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 something that in a workflow state i have to make sure that i'm upgrading my computers constantly i just ordered a new computer a PC and uh, it gets here in a week mainly because all of a sudden it's like well now I'm rendering everything in 4k so I need faster processors and I need mm-hmm. you know a higher graphics card and I need all this stuff uh, so I think just trying to get to a point where you're not being frustrated the other thing that's a little difficult is we keep upping the quality of everything but we keep getting more and more mobile so so many people are doing really big projects on laptops that just don't have enough horsepower. You know, they're like, dude, mm-hmm. this this iMac or uh, what is a a Mac laptop called? MacBook. A MacBook. You know, my Mac. I I was talking to I think maybe Yoast about it. He's like, dude, my MacBook's a year and a half old, and it's already not able to keep up with this stuff. But we jump from HD to 4K in a day, and then you've got 
old, outdated hardware. I mean, I'm not even remotely close to being a computer expert in any way, but I have to work on it every day, and I'm just hoping that whoever designed this thing designed it in a way that it doesn't frustrate me. And so, yeah, it's I've, tough. I've been putting off the. Uh, this probably probably should move on, but <laughs> I've been <laughs> putting off what? the uh, updating my on my operating system because I'm like I, I know oh, that it's going to cause know it's- everything to just come crumbling. <laughs> Such a house of cards. <laughs> I've got a I've got an iPad that it's like probably fourteen OSs behind. You know, it's like <laughs> you I, sure now, you don't want to update to OS two? I nope. will. This is one thing I hate about Apple products is when that update notification comes up, there's no way to just get rid of it. You have to click on it and it has to open your App Store and then you have to close out of it. Like they've yeah. made it so you can't just swipe away and be like, okay, I'll deal with it later. It's like no, you're going to have to open this and address think- the issue. As a as an Apple products person, uh, like I said, I, I have iPhones and iPads. I think they should say, "Do you want to install the update, or would you like to wait forty five days until we've worked it out?" Right. <laughs> Give me two options. Because yeah, of course I want the update, but I know there's going to be a news report about how this update just caused you to listen in on my phone calls. So no, give me 45 days and we'll be good. Let's talk about drumming. All right. Welcome in episode one. I'm going to edit all of that. Holy out. hell, son. <laughs> episode 201. All right. So let's talk about some drum stuff, today. shall we? Let's talk mm-hmm. about <clears throat> let's talk about using the hi hat foot in your grooves. <laughs> Bro, I just dropped my iPad. Oh my goodness! Oh, you're but so no. good at being serious. For okay, real. no, no, but really, let's talk about using the high up foot in your grooves. Uh, okay, let me right. before we get into Aaron Edgar's article. First time you saw somebody do it, who was it? Uh, Vinny, absolutely Vinny. Vinny. It was okay. Probably ah, I didn't want to ever mention him again. Dang it! I've already broken the rule. It was the drummer for Sting a piece? in 19... <laughs> What's wrong with mentioning him? 1993. Apathy? I don't know how to say his last name. <laughs> it was that Unplugged thing. Do you remember that MTV Unplugged show that, that Sting did? Yep. And, yep. It, and he did it. I can tell you. Yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about. It was all it's, the uh, off-feet, left-foot stuff. Yep. It was so incredible. Yeah, it was... Uh, um, oh, what's that song? Um, King... Uh, Damn it. I know. Anyways, that, that created a whole set of exercises for my students at the time. And because mm. I said, okay, we're going to play a Gadsden groove, but the E's and the U's are with the left foot. I want no opens. I just want. Oh, yeah, right. Um, so yeah, that yeah. I, I know exactly which one you're talking about. That was amazing. It was off. It was mostly songs off of Soul Cage's album. Uh, for yeah. me, it was definitely seeing Steve Gadd do 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover, mm. uh, or maybe even reading a transcription of it in MD. And then I thought, like, huh? You could use that as something other than a timekeeper? Mm-hmm. Crazy. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't think I, I saw or heard that piece until later. Later. Probably yeah. late high school for me. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that was one of those ones, like I said, I, I read it in MD was and then thought, why would you, I don't understand, why would there be a left foot right there? That's a weird place mm-hmm. to put it. And I didn't understand it was a, a texture option mm-hmm. that can't be recreated by hitting your hats with a stick. Yeah, and I don't think I've ever, before that, thought about using it not as a splashy sound or something like that. They yeah. like to get that real tight, crisp sound. So anyway, in Aaron's piece, if you have the August issue... Aaron Edgar wrote a piece called The Hi-Hat Foot's Voice, and he's got 15 pretty funky grooves that, you know, they're, if you take away the left foot, they're kind of just like funk grooves. Right. So he's adding the left foot to just add an extra layer of almost like an auxiliary percussionist kind of a vibe for a lot of them. Um, the one in particular that's kind of neat, example three, I've never practiced this. He's using the left foot as a grace note of a flam between the left foot and the auxiliary hi-hat never done that before yeah and he mentions chris dave in there and that's one of those things that if you're trying to create a specific uh sense of push and pull with with the time but you're still staying in time what happens is when you put in that grace note with the left foot it rushes the first hi-hat that anyone's going to hear so it seems like it came in early but a split second after that Mm. you get the right hand hitting it which is in time so the whole groove's in time but the listener gets this sense of like oh there was a weird hiccup there but there really isn't Uh, it's just that their ear wasn't ready to hear a hi-hat maybe a a 30 second note before they were in this case it would be the and of three and so i think that 
those things that we consider to be weird when Questlove does it or Chris Dave does it, when you break it down, it's still tied to all of our fundamentals of drumming. They just used our fundamentals more creatively than, than we had in the past. Yeah. Yeah, let's check out uh, Aaron demonstrating this beat. So he also adds an extra layer of kind of delay sound by having, I think he has like a, what are they, what's big fat snare drum it's like a bow tie with jingles thing i don't know what they call it necktie maybe they call it the necktie that's on his auxiliary <laughs> hi-hat so every time he hits the auxiliary hi-hat you're getting like this delayed extra note so don't be confused right. by that definitely go check out the video on monodrummer.com but this is example three which has that grace note left foot thing that we're talking about hear it especially when you played it at the faster tempo that's when you hear that hiccup you know when it's at the slower tempo it's like ah, i don't know it sounds like the guy's not very good mm-hmm. it's like well he's flawlessly sloppy <laughs> yeah. when you speed it up then it's like oh that's that thing i've heard that before um the one difference between what he's doing and a lot of what Vinny did in that unplugged thing that we're talking about is aaron is playing all of this on the same hi-hat yeah, I remember when Vinny was doing it, he was playing time on his auxiliary hats with his right hand, and then the left foot was playing his main hi hats on the E's and U's. Yeah, uh, which uh, so this so Vinny was literally getting two different hi hat sounds. Aaron is playing all of this on the same same set of aux hats. Let's move on to one where he's playing um, a counter rhythm with the left foot. So this this groove is let's see, let's pick number nine. So it's a five four sixteenth note kind of funk groove. But then his left foot is playing every fifth note, so that gives you a four underneath the five four groove. That makes sense. Let's listen to it. Okay, so in this one, I think we're getting closer to what most of us use the hi-hat for, which is when you have something that's equidistant, it becomes a timekeeper. In this mm-hmm. case, it's implying a polyrhythmic pulse, but it's still a timekeeper. And I think a lot of us have used the left foot for that purpose. And, and this is closer to that Vinny thing where now his right hand is on his ox hat and he's doing the left foot stuff with his main hat. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and actually the feet are playing the polyrhythm. So the bass drum is playing all mm-hmm. five quarter notes, and then the hi-hat is playing every fifth note. So they're, if you take away the hands, you're playing a perfect five against four with the feet. And yeah, and then you just Keep throw talking. a funky groove on top of it. A nice Bernard Purdy kind of five-four funk thing or something. Actually, it's more like a Garibaldi thing, probably. <laughs> How would you describe that? Yeah, I mean, it's a 16th note With that groove? groove? Yeah. Yeah, just I would con- I would consider it syncopated funk. We've got yeah. a nice syncopated rhythm on the hi hat. We've got some ghost notes, a good solid backbeat, then a little polyrhythmic hot sauce underneath. So, how would you, for yourself, break this down, and then how would you teach it to someone? So it would be <clears throat> feet only uh, until I felt very comfortable with that polyrhythm. Then hands only until I felt comfortable with that pattern. I didn't have to think: is it two ghost notes and then a backbeat? Because now that because Aaron's Aaron, the damn thing had to be in five four. Yeah. So I got to get used to that. Oops, sorry. So once I get used to that, then I'd probably put the quarter note in, and then slowly I would go hi hat, snare, and kick until I groove that f- the hell out of that five four. Yep. And then it would literally be one hi hat foot at a time. Yep. So I'd just do the first one, then eventually the first and the second, then eventually first, second, and third, and i just build up that. Because that, to me, the in this groove, the hi-hat is the variable as far as everything else. If you've played some funk grooves, you already know how to do this. But that yep. left foot's the variable, so I would add it one at a time. Yeah, I would do the same. I would want to get to the point when I don't think about the hands or the bass drum anymore. Mm-hmm. I'm only thinking about the left foot. Exactly, because I can't throw in the left foot while I'm trying to remember, was it a ghost? Was that an accent? Was that five? I, if I'm thinking of that stuff, I've already lost the battle. So once that's on autopilot, I'd probably honestly play that to a couple of my 5-4 play-alongs that I have in my iTunes by Apple 
playlist. And then after that, then I could bring in that left foot. They guess so there's I mean there's a ton more beats here to go through. We don't have to do that here, but check out the magazine, August issue, go to the website. Um, Aaron has been really generous for creating I mean this is like a twenty minute free video on moderndrummer.com. It's essentially an entire course. Used to be able to buy VHS tapes of that length with <laughs> <laughs> I have many of them. Like, wow, this is a half-hour video, but it's okay. I, I'm liking what I'm getting out of it. <laughs> yeah, 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 absolutely. absolutely. So check yeah, it out, modernjober.com. Um, it'll be underneath the, the education segment on the website. Tons of cool stuff here, um, and I'm kind of excited to go practice some of these things. I use the left foot a lot, but never like never as grace notes. That's where I think I'm going to mess around with it. Anyway, have fun with yeah. it. No, I think you can do a lot of cool things with this. And also... If you feel like, man, I, I just can't do it while playing the hi-hat, that's when a, a cowbell comes in. That's when auxiliary percussion comes in, and then you can really thicken things up by using the left foot, but not just as a timekeeper, as one of the actual notes. You mean playing like a left foot cowbell? No, no, no. I'm saying move the right hand oh, to the cowbell. Because right sometimes when you're using the left foot, it's kind of tough to play the hi-hat. Like if you don't have aux hats. Mm-hmm. Not everyone has. I don't have aux hats, so sometimes it's kind of hard to play that left foot stuff while also playing the funk rhythm. So I just move his hi hat part straight over to the cowbell or to the ride, or even the rim of the floor tom, and you'd be set. They get. Oh, you know what? We didn't even address the fact that we haven't talked about the the two hundredth episode giveaway that we're planning. So <laughs> hold steady, everyone. We're still dialing in the details. Uh, we will, but you will have a chance to win an amazing snare drum. So hopefully that'll be launched next week. The which would be starting, you know, sometime at the end, the last week of July. We'll have a lot more details. So if you've been waiting for us to announce that, hold tight. Give us another week because we're lazy. <laughs> more than anything, <laughs> we might be busy. You might consider it busy. I could run down my last week. Lazy, for you. busy. <sighs> I was in Phuket. Not committed. I mean, you know, whatever. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. (laughs) We have strong commitments because we've had to do certain episodes multiple times just to get them to you because, man, Mike really struggles with that record button. (laughs) Really, we just want to make sure we do something fun and exciting and and something that everyone can participate in. So that's we're just figuring it out. But for now, let's dig into our featured artist which you and I, Mike and I, were just discussing that there's two different bands called Deer Hunter. So we are talking about Deer Hunter, all one word, two E's. The drummer is Moses Archuleta. Um, and I would describe this band as being a kind of an atmospheric, ambient indie rock band, which for my aesthetic is kind of the perfect scenario that I want to play in. <laughs> As soon as I started listening to their new album, immediately I was like, this has to be Mike Dawson's band. Uh, So the new album just came out this year. It's called Why Hasn't Everything Already Disappeared? And the one thing I really enjoy about this album is a lot of times bands that are this artistic, they don't really start their album until track three. Because they have to like set you up and set yeah. the mood. I'm like, can I just find out who you are, man? I'm not. I'm, ne- I'm an A and R. In my mind, I'm an A and R. I'll never make it to track three unless you catch me. Everything that they are shows up on track one. So right away, you're hearing their vibe, their style. You're instantly transported to what if the Beatles were still alive and had a modern day producer that was 26 years old mm-hmm. and and they never stopped practicing. And it just had this thing where I was like, yes, this is the evolution that I wanted without just being a full throwback to Britpop. It's, it's, there's so many influences in here. I hear little twists of 80s uh, synth pop yeah, going on. And definitely then, U2, definitely yeah. Radiohead. I mean, it's, it's a, for me, my aesthetic, it's kind of a really fun, because I think it's a band where you might not, they may not be your favorite band, but you can't say you don't like listening to them. I don't think there's anyone that could say that that sounds bad. <laughs> you no, know? I, I agree. It's a pleasing um, sounding band that's also very creative and artistic. Um, so I think what's interesting about this whole situation is actually not the band. It's Moses himself and his approach to the drums, his approach to the drumming in the band. And you were telling me that he talks about 
that he doesn't practice drums outside of the band. Yeah, he's he's a band drummer. I mean, it's textbook band drummer. He's he mentions in the story again the full features in the August issue about he he actually joined the band playing keyboards and stuff and just hopped on the kit and his lack of ability but but having a strong artistic sensibility was ended up being the perfect sound for the band. Kind of like if a caveman could be an artist, <laughs> that seems his, his perfect there's, approach. There's so many examples down the years of specific feels that were created by a non-drummer being the drummer on the album and their physical limitations mm-hmm. created a feel that no professional drummer could ever create. Uh, and I think about the way that Lenny Kravitz played on some of his early albums. Yeah, true. If you don't know, he played drums on a lot of his albums. And there were certain things where I'm like, man, that is so stiff because he doesn't have the molar method down, mm-hmm. but so good for the song. Yeah, exactly. And um, I, I was just listening to an Al Green record the other day, and it's when you okay. go when you go through Al Green's discography, I feel like you can clearly tell when it's Al Jackson Jr. playing and when it's Howard <laughs> Grimes playing. It's like right. that's definitely Al Jackson. That's very commanding, very confident. And then you hear another track like, man, that's freaking weird, but still really awesome. That's Howard Grimes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And and speaking of the Beatles, I mean, you can tell like, oh, man, this thing's just got such fat pockets. It's like, well, that's Paul McCartney on drums. And then it's like, oh, I never would have thought to play that. Oh, that's Ringo Starr on drums. And, and that wasn't a slag on Ringo. I'm a huge Ringo fan. That was more like when I hear Ringo grooves and, and Ringo parts. I just, I just, it's not natural to me. I wouldn't have done that. Mm -hmm. And then when I hear Paul, I'm like, yeah, there we go. I can do that. (laughs) So, uh, you know, well, let's just, I can, you can can get close. Do that, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I can't, I, when you look at my discography, the Beatles aren't in it. So I'm going to go ahead and <laughs> knock myself down a few anyway, pegs. So let's drop in a little excerpt from this. There's a great live concert video on YouTube. If you search Deer Hunter Live at Best Kept Secret 2018, it's a full hour high def concert. Um, so let's check out just a little bit of their, their live vibe. in the story in the intro from the singer of Deer Hunter um, Branford Cox where he says the way he approached drumming meaning Moses is he just developed his own language I wanted to rock but Moses didn't care about rocking he wanted to organize sound Moses is the real Brian Eno of today he's a non-musician who organizes sound I think that's a great way to describe his approach to the drums agreed and how cool is it to have your singer be a fan of you when you're the drummer? Yeah. I mean, that's that's what you want. Is like if, Especially as somebody that's done a lot of touring, I remember just hoping that my singer, my guitarist, wasn't watching the other bands going like, oh, I wish that was our drummer. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> I, I want my band to go on, on an artist level. I'm sure they were yeah, like, yeah. I wish we had that drummer's personality because our drummer's a duh. Um, I, I used to get that I, often, especially in the 90s, where you know there'd be someone who's just going insane on, on stage, but it sounds terrible, but he's swinging from the ceiling. And right. and someone would be like, hey, why don't you play more like that? I'm like, because I don't, I don't like it. And if you don't like it. (laughs) So, yeah, I I agree. And I think it's cool that his singer is a fan of his. And I also think that, you know, the influence of just watching them just now in that clip that I didn't I didn't think of until I saw them play was just when talking heads were at the top of their game and David Byrne was just on fire. And it was only about the art. And when you see them. I don't know how to say this in a kind way, but you can see when people are being artistic because they think they should be artistic. But you know when they go home, they throw on their American Eagle jeans and they (laughs) watch Netflix. I think these guys are pretty damn artistic in their day-to-day life. I mean, yeah, to pull off the singer, when you watch the video, to pull off that get up. I mean, you have to be committed, and it has I don't to be feel real. like those were his show clothes. <laughs> yeah, right. You know what I mean? I think he went to Trader Joe's, got a couple snacks in that outfit, and that's his jam. And cut I just think that, hair. like, <laughs> yeah, and I, I think that that 
especially when you think about rocking, because that's something I've always used to describe the way the Deftones view themselves as like, did we rock or did we not rock? Mm-hmm. I, I feel like this is something very different. Did we create something special tonight or did we not? And yeah. I would assume, I don't know these guys at all, but I would assume they judge themselves off of, did we push the envelope? Did we create an experience for our crowd that they, that they couldn't have seen last night because it didn't happen last night? I mean, this is definitely something special. Um, and like I said, when you guys go to iTunes or Spotify or wherever you go, just know that this is Deer Hunter, D-E-E-R. And then there's another band called The Deer Hunter, very different band, amazing band as well, actually one of my favorite bands of all time. But this is Deer Hunter, just one word. No, the and I'm assuming just from the way I read the article that Moses has been their drummer for quite some time. Yeah, I think he. Uh, I have to look at their their bio, but I think he was a f- maybe a founding member, but not the original drummer. Obviously, because okay. he came in on like keyboards or something. Gotcha. Uh, but yeah, I love his. I love his sound. I love his deliberate part construction. Um, it's like every song has a crafted piece that's that couldn't. The song couldn't be played any other way. I think that's the right. ultimate goal for for me. Yeah to create hooks on the drums that aren't drum hooks. It's just really crucial parts, which I love. Yeah, and and tonalities. I mean, when you listen to the new album, every song has its own sonic landscape to it, so it's not this thing where he's trying to say, this is my sound, this is how I do it, we're putting that stamp on it. It's more like, well, this is the sound, the crunchiness that this song needed, but the next song didn't need distorted drums. So Um, it's almost like what you and I fell in love with, with... um, uh, soul coughing how each song yeah. had a new set of drum tones but it fit the song perfectly yeah and i will give away one thing from the story since we're on the, the sonic tip he talks about a trick that they did where he played on a tiny kit like a mini kit and then they detuned okay. the drums after the recording to make it sound like regular oh. drums but it was just a totally different it, it's like I a bet. unfamiliar familiar drum sound which is really wow. cool and he played That's with very awesome. small sticks too so, so cool. Who would think to do that? Like, we're going to record this song, and we're going to use a toy kit, and then we're going to make it sound big by detuning it. <laughs> uh, yeah. I guarantee that we're just a few years away from people being in the studio and be like, just do something like what Moses Archuleta would do. Right. And yeah, it's like, exactly. okay, fine. I'm not going to play with brushes, but I am going to go break some branches off the tree outside, and I'll use those. And it's like, all right, going full Moses Archuleta. I love it. Awesome. Well, guys, check out the full story. Uh, the features in this issue of modern, this current issue of Modern Drummer, and uh, who did the story? John John Colpitz, who's also a great drummer. So it was it's good to have him writing for us because he's he's kind of of that scene and of that mindset. So he, he knows exactly where to take take the stories, which is great. Um, yeah, so that's uh, that's Moses. It is time to. Um, Mention again the dream symbols hang. If you are in Montreal or have any interest in going to Montreal. Uh, plan it around August 1st from 7 to 10 p.m. Uh, Dream is hosting a a hang at Hotel Tatango and is going to have feature drummer Sam Fogarino of Interpol. Uh, they're going to have a bunch of symbols there that all of them can be purchased when you want to leave. So, But you have to RSVP, so email dreamhang, all one word, dreamhang at dreamsymbols.com. They will send you the info as far as the address and all of that. But they need RSVP because the space is quite limited. So again, that's August 1st, 7 to 10 p.m. Dream Symbols Hang at Hotel Tatango in Montreal with some Sam Focarino from Interpol. Wish I could get up there. It sounds like a good hang. I was going to say, that sounds like a perfect spot for you to go, man. Yeah, never been to Montreal. Never. Oh, speaking of which, I might be going to London next in the fall. For what? For well, for a, a work thing, which I'll I'll go into more once it's finalized. It's a recording project. Okay. But I'm also trying to add an extra date to do a clinic slash event. So trying to gather up interest. So anyone who's in London, if you might be there the end of September, and you want to come out to a clinic, drum event, whatever, uh, hit us up on the podcast Facebook page. Or email mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. If I can get like a rough estimate of how many podcast listeners could attend, then it'll be easy to confirm the date and get some sponsorship and all that. So it's like awesome. the last week in September is what we're shooting for. So that's going cool, to be my first uh, 
Internet international this thing clinic. global, dude. Yeah, you are. Yeah, you are. Well, uh, off air, we can talk about uh, the experiences I've had around London with different shops, and I, I mean they're all positive for sure. But some some of the shops um, work better for small clinics, and some of the shops work better for large clinics. Some of them rent venues, so we can definitely talk about that. Yeah, that the, uh, we're later. looking at, at a venue kind of vibe, make it more cool, of like a a club hang with a bar and, and music and all that kind of stuff. So nice. That's the, that's awesome that's thinking. So yeah, that's a that's a I loose wonder, announcement, but I do want to see if there's anyone out here to meet. Like, yes, I'll be there. If we can get if we can get a dozen people guaranteed, then it'll move. And forward, this is in sure. September, right? Yeah, it's like the last week, the last like mm. Monday, Tuesday, or something like that in September. Man, I'm I'm already over. I'm coming home from Amsterdam. I think on the 18th of September. So. I uh, just missed you. Would have been an easy thing. We could have done some live podcasting yeah. from London. But Someday we'll get our ducks in a row and do that. <laughs> episode 500. All right, let's get into some candy. You don't get to hear this candy, but it's still candy nonetheless. Something we probably don't pay enough attention to. This is one of those things no one pays attention to until it fails. Yes, clutches. For sure. Nothing, nothing worse than a Hyatt clutch that either won't grip the 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 post anymore or the bottom nut comes loose all the yeah, time. Dag nabbit. The There's worst? like that sweet spot where it's like, just stay right there. I don't want it tighter than that because then it's <laughs> stiff and I don't want it looser than that. And of course on my DW clutches, I always take the nut that, or, or the little bolt that would have locked it in place. I get rid of that. That's in yeah. my way. Yeah. So I could have had it do that, but I'm like, no, <laughs> just do your job. Um, so yeah, hi-hat clutches are super important. We're checking out uh, the sweet spot Hi-Hat Clutch, Canadian company. Uh, I love the fact that the, the company is owned and operated by an actual machinist. Yep. So you know that he's actually doing the work on these things. Uh, so you got a chance to check this out, right? I did. So he sent down uh, one of his clutches, which he calls a Fusion, fusion Clutch, um, which it's, it's all machined. Everything is real. I mean, you feel like this is a significant piece of metal. This isn't some pot metal Chinese-made thing or something. Um, whoa, so whoa, said that, easy on China. Uh, hey man, the ones <laughs> hey, that fail, better clutches. The ones that fail are made <laughs> where? <laughs> All right, I I don't know because mine was made by Cherry Hill. You do a great job, John. <laughs> anyway, right. he sent the clutch, and he also sent uh, two really cool accessories that work with the clutch. So the the clutches have a piece on top that you can get like a decorative, like a like a castle piece from a chess set. But that piece can come off, and then you have a exposed bolt that then you can attach a splash adapter that he machines or a hi-hat tambourine. So it actually connects directly to the clutch itself, which is really cool. So I'm assuming, since you're a jingle-jangle kind of guy, <laughs> you've probably played a lot of tambourines on your on your left foot, either just yeah. like a, jing, a ching ring thrown over which is always sloshing a little bit. Yep. Uh, then you've got the ones that mount to the post, but not yep. to the clutch. Weight wise and feel wise, did you? Was it comfortable to play? Yes. When you was, mounted the tambourine to the top, it. W- I felt it was. Um, well, yeah, just having it like actually married to the clutch, just it kind of made it a little bit more transparent. Right, having that like extra weight on top of a of mm-hmm. a secondary ring of tambourine. I don't really like that. Um, I didn't really even notice that it was attached. It did add enough weight to where I had to be conscious of the spring tension. Like if I feel sure. like your spring tension is all the way loose, it does kind of drag it down Weigh a little down. bit. Yeah. But other than that, it was it was one of the best ones I've ever ever tried, and it was it was it wasn't that like Christmas jingle jangle tambourine sound. It was a little yeah. bit more of a like a integrated sound, similar to what I get when I take like a like a wooden tambourine and actually lay it on the cymbals directly. That yeah. kind of a vibe, but yeah, it worked great. I did. Um, I used it on a couple gigs. It was easy enough to just take it on and off, no problem. That's cool. Um, and so, list price on the hi hat clutch somewhere around thirty bucks, yep. um, and then list price on the tambourine somewhere around thirty bucks as well. So pretty affordable. Um, and then as far as v- overall volume with the uh, with the tambourine attachment, is it? So, I mean, you said it has a good sound, but is it super loud? Is it quiet? Is it right in the middle? It's not nearly. Can you as, still hear your hi hats? Yeah, it's not nearly as bright as like a okay. like a regular steel tambourine kind of thing. Uh, I liked it, and it's also small enough that I was able to just throw it in my cymbal bag and not have it take up too much space. So it's a cool That's piece. Cool, man. And then the splash adapter is a machined tube 
that extends above the. Um, how high does it go? I actually oh. measured it. it actually is this extends. the dude? Is this the dude that's making Aaron Edgar's uh, cymbal tops? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's on okay. that. And he's making lugs for a couple other custom shops and stuff. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. <laughs> now he's now he just like gun buns. Now you're a real drummer. <laughs> that went well. Sorry, gun buns. <laughs> Dude straight called me out on Instagram. Yeah, uh, he did. I thought it was funny. Yeah. Anyway. I loved it. Loved it. <laughs> so the splash uh, adapter is like a f- four and a quarter inch tube that ha- that's machined, so there's no like like washers that would rattle around. It has a little platform that'll hold splash symbol. You could you could put a little stacker or something, like directly mount it right onto your hi-hat. Uh, again, it was that seamless marrying of of the hi-hat clutch with the the added symbol that made it pretty transparent and just a cool way to add something funky like a little i'd like it with like a little like a little splash stacker just something extra to add to your hi-hat stand love it love it well you guys can check all this stuff out at sweetspotclutches.com uh way more products than i was aware of uh so really cool stuff uh, yeah the splash adapter stuff is 12 bucks so it's kind of yeah. like an, an easy purchase if you're looking for something funky to add to your your kit that sounds really cool all right you ready to get into some listener questions yeah, we have three audio questions, so let's pick one. Where are we going to go first? Um, might help if I had them open, huh? I would say Chris Turton. He's been here to camp. He's a good dude, and I love when our listener questions have some sort of accent, and I know he'll have a, a decent British accent, so it makes us seem more international. It makes us our podcast sound cooler. <laughs> right, here's Chris. Hey, you guys. Absolutely loving the podcast, so thank you very, very much. Uh, my name is Chris, or Chris T, as Mike might remember. Uh, we used to send a couple of videos across. My question today is about splash symbols. I just recently found an old splash symbol that I'd bought from uh, a few years ago. I thought I'd try it out on the kit, see if I like it, and, and buy a, a, a nicer one if I do. Um, just wondered if you had any thoughts on, I guess, how and when we use it, as well as its physical location on the kit, so its placement on the kit. Um, I've currently got it on top of the crash on the right-hand side, uh, just on like a little symbol tree, which obviously makes me use it in a certain way. I, uh, I've put a little bit of audio on the end if you get a chance to have a little listen. So I guess I'm looking for tips on maybe some rudiments or hybrid rudiments uh, that might... Sort of make me play it in different places and things like that. Um, as well as, I guess, your thoughts on, like I said, it's, it's physical location on the kit. So whether you would play it in a different place if it was above your tom um, or over by the hi-hat and things like that. Uh, I've checked out a couple of vids. I actually saw a JP Bouvet, and he had one on his left-hand side, and it looked really cool. Uh, I tried it there and just found that it was, like, impossible to use. Um, so, yeah, just your thoughts on that. Um, not looking to blow anyone away with the audio that I send over, but just a, a really cool way of you to you guys being able to see sort of where I'm up to, so you can suggest some things. Um, love what you're doing, guys. Thank you very much, and I'll see you soon. two suggestions one listen to Mano Cache because he might be the the master of the splash symbol used in a musical way that's not completely expected um i think he's he's like a magician with that so check out Mano Cache. everything he's ever done you're going to hear splashes and they're going to be played in the most tasteful cool way the other thing i remember when i interviewed uh annika annika niles who she says niles now is it nilis or is it niles she says niles. i asked she says niles yeah Man, she told me Nillis. Norbert told me Nillis. I think they got sick of it, and they're like, fine, you know what? It's Niles. Yes, it's Johnson. There's no T. It's Mike Johnson. You're <laughs> anyway, fine. Anyway, when I interviewed her, that was a question I asked her, was how do you how do you orchestrate these fills that have all these splashes and stuff in it? Pretty simple answer. She just, instead of, hits, instead of hitting a tom in a linear-type fill, she hits a splash symbol. So it's just yeah. a simple concept to just replace the drum with, with the splash. And I think there's certain symbols that we have splashes stackers small little trash chinas that you can do that with and they're staccato enough to take the place of a drum i wouldn't mm-hmm. normally I w- i'm not gonna do that with a 20 inch crash unless i'm going for something really weird but with splashes they work great i think 
Tim Alexander's another one where I would yeah. just think like, oh, okay. Uh, or I would say if you had Tim Alexander, Stuart Copeland, and Manu, then you're mm-hmm. set. Um, yeah. And as far as location, I always had mine either usually on my left because I like to hit it right before the backbeat. So I'd hit a backbeat on two. The splash would happen on the of one with my left hand, and I'd hit the backbeat with my right hand. So, um, interesting. Okay, never so did that that's before what, ever. Well, the problem was if it was on my right, I couldn't stop hitting the damn thing. Uh, <laughs> I was like, damn. So if I got it out of my way, then it was just this like auxiliary thing that I would hit, almost like an open hi hat. I could also do the thing where I kind of push the stick on the symbol. I could crush it and just hold my stick there into the backbeat. Hmm. Uh, so for me on the left was just a more creative place to put it. And in, in the originally I put it, it wasn't even a splash. It was the Sabian, I think B8 pro China splash. Oh yeah. I had the 10 inch one, which one? Yeah, you? that's it. I had the 10 <laughs> and I had it right, like right above my rack Tom. So it was yes, just right in the middle exactly, of my kit. Exactly. Yeah. I'd ride on that thing. I'd play jazz swing on that. I was, I loved it. So I, I had, had to move that, that to my left. I had the same spot. I had that right between the, cause I had a 10, 12 and I put the splash right between them. And then I had an eight inch splash between the hi hat and the 10 inch Tom. So there was like mm-hmm. this, I couldn't miss them. I had to hit a yeah. lot of, a lot of splashes. <laughs> oh man. Cause once you did the double handed splash, you go, man, I'm getting excited. Minel, I need some splashes. Oh, the irony yeah. that we're talking about splashes, and I don't think I've hit a splash in years, decades. God, no. <laughs> if I walk into a store to do a clinic and I see a splash within the first 20 yards, I'm out. Yeah. I just refuse to do the clinic. I can't do it. That's not true. That's a lie. There is a splash That's on uh, Carter's kit. So whenever I have to, when I'm subbing for him, I have to play some splashes. But I mean, that's do you get excited that's, or do you hate yourself? Well, I mean, it's, it's show, show music. You got to have a splash when you're playing yeah. a musical. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. I've been set There's up something deep kid. down, though, that just gives you a little tingle. I know you dig it. I know you dig it. All right, let's get on to our second question. This is from, you want to go with a David Hissu? Yeah. How would David, you say that? I don't know. Let's find out if he says it. Come on, Dave. Help us out. Hey, Mike and Mike. This is Dave from Mineola, Long Island. I was wondering if you have any thoughts on strategies for how to reproduce or reverse engineer a snare sound that you've heard on a track that you've um, just become obsessed with or enamored with. And especially in the case where you're trying to reproduce that song um, in a live band situation, uh, do you actually go and try to figure out the exact snare drum that the drummer was using or the type of head they were using or the mic setup, et cetera? Um, any thoughts on that you have on that would be greatly appreciated. Thanks and keep up the great work. How the heck did Dave keep that question under 40 seconds? Yeah, right. <laughs> that was fantastic, man. Okay, so my first thought right away is since he's reproducing this for a live situation, that's very different than understand. Like, you have to understand that the snare that you're hearing on the record did not sound like that in the room. That's what the yeah. microphones, the preamps, totally. the compressors all turned it into. So, by recreating what he or she had, getting the same head, it's not going to work because you're going to do this live. So, I think what you need to do is do your best to isolate a sample of this snare, maybe one or two hits, have it in your headphones, and just keep messing with your snare drum until, and you just, Bring up those adjectives. Is it wetter or drier than what I have? Then add tape or take tape off. And is it lower or higher pitch than what I have? And you just keep getting closer by listening to two or three hits of it. What do you think? Yeah, that's pretty much it. I, first thing I identify is the pitch. I actually try to, what is the note that the drum is producing? And then I sing it and I identify what it is. And I tune my drum so it produces that exact same note. And then it's like, okay, is the drum I'm trying to reproduce, you know, what's, it, what's the sustain? So then I'm talking right. about, do it need to be muffled? Does it need to be heavily muffled, lightly muffled? Do I need to hit it dead center, rim shots, that kind of thing? I think between that, and then it might be a question of like how much, you know, how how deep does the drum sound? Like how long, how wide of a sound is it? So then I address the snare tension itself and also maybe the shelf depth. Like a, a four-inch deep drum is never going to sound like an eight-inch deep drum. So sometimes I might have to just swap to a different instrument. But usually with a with a normal sized five to six and a half drum, you can reproduce anything. Um, Agreed. You know, like overtones and stuff like that. It's if you're not in the studio, you don't need to worry about that. I think it's pitch and then how much how much muffling to put on it. That's kind of it. Yeah. 
I think the other thing too comes down to how did that drummer play their snare? Yeah. I mean, we've, we've talked so many times about Steve, your experience with Steve Jordan and when he hit his yeah. snare, it just didn't sound like when you hit it. So, um, I, I've definitely had people come over here. Carter's a great example. Comes over here, plays my kit. It doesn't sound like my kit. It sounds like Carter McLean mm-hmm. right away. So touch has a, a big deal to do with it as well. So if you can watch some videos of the drummer that you're trying to cop the feel, whoa, cop the sound from, hello. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if, if you can see some videos of that, how do we move on from that? If you can find Next some videos. question is from Andrew. <laughs> from Ryan Vandy. Oh, yeah, it's Ryan. <laughs> or no, it's Raina. Raina? It's Raina. Raina oh, Vandy. We're oh, man, it. we butchered this Next one. Next question. <laughs> Oh What's up, Mike and Mike? Uh, my name is Rainer. I'm a drummer from the UK. Uh, I love the podcast. It always inspires me when I'm on the way to uh, teaching my students. So big thanks for that. Uh, my question for you is to do with kick drum tuning. Now, I like to think I'm pretty good at tuning drums. So, you know, I can always dial in my snare and my toms to sound exactly how I want them. But I've always struggled with the kick drum, and I don't know why. Um, just to give you some uh, details, I currently am playing a 20 by 22 uh, Tama Hyperdrive kick drum. Uh, now, these drums are obviously known for being super punchy, but I can never get mine to sound very punchy. Um, I've got a pillow in there. I've got the Remo equivalent of an EMAD on the batter side. But I think I just need to admit... I kind of suck at tuning kick drums. <laughs> so if you guys give me some, if you could give me some help with this, that would be rad. Thanks so yeah, much. You just keep we, your head up, Raina. Keep your we, head up. <laughs> do we okay. break the bad news to him? That he needs a new bass drum? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, first of all, there's nothing hyperdrive about a 22 by 20. <laughs> Those things are supposed to be short stacked. What the hell happened there? Um, that drum yeah, is just I never going to be punchy. It's never no. going to be. And, and honestly... You have a drum that was part of a fad. Um, it was part of a fad for about four or five years, and it wasn't based off sound. It was based off of cool factor, and it was based off of people trying to keep up with OCDP and what John Otto and Travis Barker were doing. And eventually the entire industry moved away from it, went back to 16 by 22 and 14 by 22, and that's where we're at now. So. You could keep that drum. I would I would experiment with that drum and find out, does it do anything incredible? And then just keep it for that. And then just see if on Reverb or on eBay, if you can find a 22 by, or a 16 by 22 in that same finish, in that same drum. Yeah. Yeah, 16 or even a 14 is going 14, to, yeah. It's just going to be instantly punchier. I think if you want to mess around with your drum, maybe tightening the front head more than you think will help because the problem you're having is you have to kick that drum so hard to get that front head to actually do anything mm-hmm. so you're probably just hearing plastic you're just hearing beater hitting plastic yeah. which isn't a very satisfying sound so maybe try tuning up that front head really high and then just experiment with backing it down a little bit till you get the note you want and also that should give you a little bit of that satisfying low end return when you hit it that'd Agreed. be about it all right, my friend. Well, thank you guys for sending in your questions. Raina, uh, sorry that we butchered your name in the beginning, but I think we got it now. Uh, guys, please keep sending in those audio questions. It's so great to hear your voices, and it just makes it feel like you're more part of the podcast. So you can send those in to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. And now it is time for our picks of the week. I'm going to go first so that you have plenty of time with your drum history pick. Yep. Uh, my pick of the week, I'm curious to know if you're familiar with this lad. Uh, my pick is a drummer named Forrest Rice. Do you know Forrest? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So F- Forrest is an old Mike's Lessons student that eventually just grow- grew into something where I could not I could not stifle that man any longer. He had to be free. <laughs> and uh, he is a good friend. He's an incredible drummer. I mean, honestly, one of the most creative drummers I can think of on the planet right now. So Forrest is in a band called Covet with another one of the most creative people you could ever imagine, a female guitarist named, I believe it's pronounced Yvette Young. Uh, so she's incredible. The band is incredible. But Forrest is somebody doing it his own way, not chasing other people, not trying to copy other people. And I really enjoy following him on Instagram because it's constant inspiration for just doing things your own way, setting up your kit your own way where I'm like, what the hell? I didn't yeah. even know a cymbal stand could go that high. But he looks so comfortable uh, playing it. That's the key. Exactly. Yeah. I totally agree. And I'm, you know, I've gone from being his teacher to becoming a fan. So uh, you can follow him on Instagram. It's at F O R R 
3ST. So like Forrest with a 3, F-O-R-R-3-S-T. And then definitely follow the band at Covet Band, C-O-V-E-T-B-A-N-D. So my pick of the week is Mr. Forrest Rice. Yeah, he's a beast. I think um, I think Chris Carter, yeah, our buddy Chris Carter might have been yeah. the one who hit me to him first. But yeah, oh, really? him, I, I, every post he puts up on I'm knocked, knocked, knocked out by his not only his drumming, but just how much fun he's clearly having playing the drums. Totally. It's, it's really sincere and it's inspiring. So uh, definitely follow him if you don't already. My pick of the week is a much more modern player than Forrest. <laughs> mm. <laughs> We're talking about Zudi Singleton from oh man, the early his Instagram days. account is crazy. <laughs> Zoots, are you kidding me? <laughs> So okay. This is our history segment. This is Zudi Singleton, another drummer that often gets overlooked in the history of drumming because we think of who was the first drummers and we immediately say Baby Dodds and then we jump to Chick Webb and we forget about a lot of the guys who lived in that world in between the two, between early jazz and, and the swing era. Zudi was the one that I think kind of bridged the gap. He had the New Orleans street street drummer style but he also had some like modern conception of syncopation and stuff and his technique was just a little bit cleaner than than at least what i've heard of baby dodd so zudi was born in 1898 he passed away in 1975 wow um, so he was born in born in louisiana raised in new orleans he ended up i believe moving to new york city and that's kind of when he became more more notoriety as Louis Armstrong's drummer in the in the late twenties, early thirties. Uh, really great drummer, and what I have here is a tune by the clarinetist Pee Wee Russell. Um, it's called "About Face," and it has a great intro that kind of exemplifies that street beat jazz style. And then there's a really fun solo halfway through the tune. So we're going to check out the intro, and then I'm going to edit to the solo. I transcribed this whole thing. Uh, it was the second piece I ever wrote for a modern drummer before I started working here. So this is wow. Pee Wee Russell about face with Zudi Singleton killing it. playing is insane yeah. yeah i mean they probably Unreal. recorded that with one microphone in the room for the whole band <laughs> and you can hear how insanely heavy the influence of marching drumming was still at yeah. that time where everything has this march feel and this clarity of rudiments and just perfection yeah bass drum is relentless his buzz roll it's super clean like i think i can't think of anyone of that era that played cleaner than that it's just it's yeah. really crisp and just that cool funky stuff with cowbells and there's a lot of there's yeah. a china symbol in there i mean it I love that solo. I've learned that one, and I practice that one often still because there's just some phrasing in there. Once you really dig in, like there's some polyrhythms happening. So that's that's Udi Singleton. He's my uh, drum history pick of the week. Um, there's a lot of stuff he's done. The problem with his era was before they figured out how to record drums. So it's kind of hard to find him actually on drum set. A lot of stuff he's playing, like those little hand hi hat symbols, or really, or like spoons, or you know whatever they right. had to do to to not be loud. But there's a few. This is a good record. It's called a, it's about face. P.B. Russell's the artist. Um, he's on a lot of that stuff. But yeah, Zudi Singleton, long live. Awesome. Well. Everyone, please, if you get a chance, I say this at the end of every episode, and I'm sure it's annoying, but please head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating and review. That helps other drummers find this podcast, which is our goal. Make sure that drummers all over the world feel 
especially when things are going a little south for them. They've got two friends that are going through the same things. Uh, <laughs> and we've been there. We've all been there before. So we're a big family. Let's just make sure we keep that vibe going. And you can send all your questions into mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. Dude. Yeah. So that was it. Now yeah. we just got to figure out how to give this damn snare drum away. <laughs> also, anyone in, in London who would be interested in an event, let us know. I need to know um, in the next week or so if I can move forward with booking this. I would love to have it be almost like a, a podcast event. That would be super cool. So if we can get 10 of you guys there who are in London or around London, it'll be a go-ahead, and I'll have details within the next one or two episodes. Uh, but Fantastic. for now, we're going to send it out with Andrew. This is Andrew's track. He was using the... Um, he's referencing something that we talked about on the show, how to record drums with one dynamic mic based on the Creative Sound Lab tutorial. So this is his version of that. So he's playing, um, what's he using here? He's got a DW kit. Um, yeah, Istanbul, Zildjian, you know, all the standard fare. But yeah, this is his first attempt at a one mic setup. So check out Andrew and please send us your beats to mdinfo at com, And we will see you in seven days. Great calculations. <laughs> Dude, we sounded like a damn married couple in this episode. My goodness. God, all right. Have a good one. Uh, whatever. <laughs> <laughs>is in the air at Littleton Coin Company and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Coriant has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Coriant's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Coriant.com.